the most practical way for a pastor in our cultural moment to actively care and shepherd for folk is to teach them the scripture and teach them to pray. And I think he's on to something there. Because prayer is an absolutely vital spiritual practice. Absolutely. And we're going to get about as deep in the weeds practically as you can in a sermon today. We're going to go through the Sermon on the Mount, or we're going to go through the Lord's Prayer, kind of petition by petition, and give examples of what those types of prayers might look like in the life of the believer, about as practical as you can get in a setting like this, guys. Because really, at the end of the day, and I feel like I can't say this any more bluntly than this, at the end of the day, you will not grow in your faith if you are not prayerful, period. The, the kingdom life is a life of prayer. It is, it is a vital spiritual practice. In his example of prayer, Jesus is gonna show, we're gonna see today, Jesus shows us you can and you should include prayer in every aspect of your life. There is no piece of the experience of the human life of which it's not appropriate to connect with God in prayer. There's there's all these different categories. And guys, God delights to meet with you in all of them. So we're going to walk through each section of the prayer. We're going to look at each petition and talk about what that might look like for us. But before we do that, I want to ask us a more basic question. And it's just this. What even is prayer? And that may, especially if you're like a church brat, you may be like, that's a dumb question to ask in a sermon. We all know what prayer is. Okay, if that's you, that's fine. I get it. You're a better Christian than I am. But let's take just a second and let's talk about this. I think it's it's important, right? Like Jesus is giving a model prayer in the middle of this larger teaching about spiritual practice. And remember, if you were here last week, one of the things Jesus says is, be careful in your prayer. Be careful. You can mess up prayer. You can do prayer wrong. You can have the wrong motivation and you can have the wrong outcomes. Prayer, if it is actually this vitally important aspect of faith and it's actually possible to mess it up enough that Jesus spends time telling us to be careful about it, I think it's worthwhile for us to zone in and ask these kind of questions, right? So what is it? Well, theologian and pastor John Piper He answered this question by simplifying the Westminster Catechism and just saying, prayer is asking God for things. Now, I actually love that definition, but I also know as soon as I say that, some of you church folk are immediately balking at it, right? No, prayer is more than requests. God's not your cosmic vending machine. God's not Santa Claus. Prayer's about a conversation. It's about talking to him. It's about getting to know him. It's about relational connection, right? Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I would say if that's your first reaction to Pastor Piper's definition, you're spot on. That's really important. But I also think Piper's overly simplified definition is actually really important for us. You see, it is true to say that prayer is about communing with God. And it is as simple as simply talking to him. But you also have to be honest enough to admit that prayer isn't just like a normal conversation, right? 
It's very different. When you talk to your friend or a spouse or whoever, there's back and forth. You share ideas and you mutually invite one another into each other's minds. You share information. You mutually reveal new truths to one another. And we know this isn't how prayer works. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to guess that you don't often hear God's audible voice respond back to you back and forth when you have conversations, when you speak or think in prayer. Yeah? That's not, that's not like our normal experience of prayer. And don't mishear me. God speaks to us in prayer. I mean, in silence and waiting, you can hear promptings of the Holy Spirit. And also, I would say the primary way that God speaks to us is through his word. Because of that, by the way, uh, Bible reading and prayer go together like chocolate and peanut butter, or in my particular case, like Reese's eggs and stealing out of your children's Easter basket. <laughs> Those go together perfectly. Uh, anyway, um, guys, even so, we have to understand, prayer is different from our normal experience of conversation. Even though God is sovereign, even though God does speak, you have to admit it's different than your normal experience of conversation. And the differences are important. Not only... Does God not usually audibly respond back and forth in our prayers? You also have to remember, you're not informing him of any new information, right? Jesus just affirmed this in, in the previous verses. We don't need to impress God with our words. We can't manipulate God with our fancy speech because he already knows. He already knows what you need before you speak to him. So, when you talk to God, you're expressing things to him, but he already knows them, but you pray them anyway. Because prayer is like a conversation, but it's also very unique, right? It's also set apart. This is why I think Piper's overly simple definition is helpful for us. You see, guys, in prayer, we are inherently revealing our already revealed heart to a God of the universe who is sovereign and in absolute control of all of reality. The sovereignty of God speaks into the theology of prayer really powerfully. Nothing in existence happens outside of God's purview. In this way, in prayer, in bringing our heart to God, we are acknowledging that nothing happens without God's power. Guys, let me say that again. Nothing happens without God's power. Nothing at all. It's all under God's power. It's all under God's control. And so in this truth, every aspect of our prayers are in some way asking God for something. If you pray a praise to God, you're asking him to continue to create the circumstances of reality within which he is praised because he's in control of his own glory and his own praise. A confession of sin is a request for love and acceptance and forgiveness. Beloved, by coming to God in prayer in any way, coming to God in prayer in any way, you are acknowledging that you need him for life. You need him for your life to continue. And in this sense, all of prayer can be just said is simply asking God for things. I think there's something beautifully simple about this that, that puts our prayer in the right context. It, it puts language around the reality of our actual relationship with God and the nature of the conversation. Matt Kreutzer uh, served as an elder at Red Tree back in the day, 
and he preached on prayer. Uh, and, and he had this amazing line. He said this so beautifully. He said, we are God's kids running around the house talking about how great dad is and how he can get anything we need. I love that image. So as we talk about prayer today, I know two things. We all need to grow in our prayer lives, right? Like we can start there. Every single one of us in the room, we need to grow in our prayer lives. I know as I say that, for some of you guys, prayer comes really naturally. It's a spiritual discipline that you're gifted in. You find a lot of life in prayer naturally. You don't have to learn that. But I also know for some of you, you, it doesn't come naturally, but you've actually done the work to grow in the discipline of prayer. You've figured out how to walk in obedience in that part of your life and in this practice. But guys, even if that's you, I'm guessing you also can grow in your faithfulness in prayer, right? Even if you're really awesome at it, I'm guessing you still have some room to grow. For most of us, however, we likely need some kind of jump start in this area of our faith. Guys, most Christians struggle with prayer. It's, it's a difficult practice for many of us to engage in. And so I'm going to continually, as we talk, about, talk through this today, I'm going to reference this idea, uh, and it's not unique to me, but just this idea of these short little five-second prayers. These kind of throughout-the-day prayers that come out in one or two sentences as you think of them. Short and genuine. Guys, these are honestly the easiest first step in learning the practice of prayer. And they also help us to see the reality of the gospel in the details of our day-to-day lives. These five-second prayers that pop in and out of your mind throughout the course of your day. It's a really helpful spiritual practice, and it's a really good introductory spiritual practice because it doesn't take much. It's just as you become aware of something, you speak it to God really quick. And I'm going I'm to reference that idea a lot today as we go through this because I think for a lot of us, that's going to be similar to what our next steps of obedience are. Sometimes prayer will look like devoted times of deep, mindful prayer where you sit down in the silence for an hour and you have a journal in front of you and you connect with God. And those things are beautiful. Sometimes it will look like struggling through prayer while you're busy and there's chaos around you and you're trying to do some mundane task while your house melts down around you, right? But most often, the actual life of kingdom prayer looks like little moments of intimacy throughout the minutia and the details and the mundaneness of your day. Five-second prayers. So what we're going to do, as I've already said, we're going to walk through Jesus' prayer here verse by verse. And what we're going to see is that Jesus makes up the entirety of his model prayer with petitions, with requests of God, which I think is interesting. There's something wonderful about the simplicity of Jesus' model for prayer. We simply tell God our heart. We tell him what we want in our lives and in this world. We ask him for things. And we ask him to work in everything, every aspect of life. Kids asking dad to take care of them. So with that, church, pray with me, and then let's look at this text. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to take a few minutes today to consider you. Lord, as we look at your words, the model you gave for for how your children can connect with you, God, I pray that you would give each and every one of us just a fresh clarity today, regardless of what our intimacy looks like with you in prayer, Lord. I pray that you would speak to us fresh today. Meet us in your word. Challenge us to be the kind of people who actually do the work of connecting with you. 
Lord, we want to see your power, your sovereignty, your glory, your rule, your reign in every facet of life. We don't want to be the kind of people who are so compartmentalized in our faith that we love you on Sunday and we forget about you on Monday. God, help us, help us open our eyes to see your movement, see your work, see your glory, see your kingdom in our world. We need you for this work, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, verse 9 of chapter 6 of Matthew says, Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. This is Jesus' introduction to the prayer, right? Jesus is really plainly telling us this is a model for prayer. Right? He just challenged his followers to be careful in their prayer. They're not to pray for the people in the room listening. They're not to pray to try and manipulate and control God. Instead, their prayer should look like this. This is the counter example he gives to messing up prayer. The Lord's prayer, guys, is a model prayer. It shows us patterns and structures. Now, by the way, we just did this. You can read and pray Jesus' prayer verbatim. Christians have done this literally for thousands of years, and they have found it spiritually helpful for thousands of years. Some of the earliest Christian writings we have mention reciting the Lord's Prayer as a spiritual practice. Literally, like going back to within 50, 60 years of Jesus' resurrection, this is a normal practice among Christians. But remember, this prayer primarily, even though that is a beneficial practice, this prayer primarily shows us a model for the sorts of things we should pray about and how we pray for them. Quick note here, this is just like a little theological side note, but I think it's actually an important one. You can go and turn over in Luke 11, and you can read a really similar prayer that Jesus gives. In that context, his disciples asked him, hey, how should we pray? Teach us to pray like John the Baptist taught his disciples. And Jesus gives a model prayer to them. And it's really similar to the Lord's Prayer that we read here in Matthew 6, but it's different. And if you were to spend time Googling this, say you're interested in this and you jump into it this week, you'd find a whole lot of people who go, well, obviously they're the same prayer, but Matthew and Luke just got it wrong. And, Mr. and blah, blah, blah. I'm just, I, I, I want to preemptively tell you guys this piece. Uh, that's a foolish way to understand this. It's a foolish way to, to, it's an oversimplification of the beauty that is the diversity between the four Gospels. If Jesus had a model prayer that he taught to his disciples, hey, this is the kind of way you should pray, it's pretty likely that he probably said it more than once, right? In, in multiple years of ministry in different, in different cities all around this region, he probably shared a version of this prayer more than once. And if it was something he had just like, on deck in his back pocket to share as it was needed, there's a good chance he probably contextualized it to the moment when he shared it, right? So what's much more likely if you look at Luke 11 is just a different example of when someone asked Jesus how to pray and he pulled this teaching out of his back pocket and he gave them off the cuff a similar prayer because it's not supposed to be verbatim, it's supposed to be a model, right? Again, just a little, I know that's a little theological rabbit trail, but just on the off chance you spend some time Googling this this week, I want you to have that little factoid in your back pocket. Both Luke 11 and Matthew 6 are models for prayer, right? They're not, they're not meant to be or thought of as the same text. So we see in this introduction, Jesus is teaching here an appropriate construct for prayer. And that appropriate construct is both communal 
and private, right? Like both contexts work for this prayer. He gives this out of a teaching where he says, here's how you can mess up communal prayer. Here's how you can mess up private prayer. Instead, pray like this. What Jesus is showing us in that is that there really isn't a difference between communal prayer and private prayer. The difference is the number of people in the room. But prayers are very similar when they're communal and when they're individual. This model speaks to both understandings of prayer. So jump into the actual prayer. Look how Jesus addresses God. What I think is important for us in this opening bit of the prayer is that Jesus' address to God is both intimate and reverent. And it's easy for us to miss this because some of Jesus' language has become so normalized to us in our practice of faith, but he refers to God as our Father in heaven. Because Father is an intimate term to refer to God. For us, like we have 2,000 years of normative Christian practice telling us that we're God's children and we call him Father and all those different things. You have to understand, that was a brand new concept when Jesus taught that way. That did not exist in Jewish theology up to that point. Jesus was the one who said, no, I speak to God as my Father. And it was part of the reason the religious leaders thought he was a heretic. is <laughs> because it was such a familiar and intimate term to use with a holy and righteous God. Jesus uses this incredibly intimate term, Father, and then connects it with the reverent reality of who God is. Father who is in heaven. Intimately connected, but God of the universe. There is a balancing act here. It's an important one. He is our Father. He's also in heaven. He's intimately connected with us. He's also the God of reality, right? Like That's a balance we have to hold in our engagement of him. Your name be honored. Guys, this is simultaneously a praise and a petition. And what it shows us is that worship is a normative and healthy part of prayer. God is worthy of your worship. His glory is the aim of the whole life of the kingdom, right? That's what Jesus has been talking about in all the Sermon on the Mount leading up to this point. Glorifying God, worshiping God is a normative, healthy, necessary practice, and it should exist within your prayers, right? But also notice, it's a petition. See, we are totally dependent upon God to even worship God. We need him to continue to reveal and manifest his glory. We need him to help us to have clear and humble eyes to see him and engage him. This is the reality within which we honor God, is one within which he empowers us to honor him, right? Our Father who's in heaven, your name be glorified. I love this. In super practical terms, as you can apply this to your prayers today, praise God in your prayers. When you talk to him, just tell him in clear terms what you think of him. Tell him how wonderful he is. This is where Jesus' warning comes in, by the way. You don't need to use flowery and complicated language. You don't need to like channel your inner Shakespeare when you talk to God so that he'll feel revered by you. Guys, you have to understand, you won't butter him up anyway. Like it it doesn't work, right? It's just going to confuse you in your prayer. Instead, remember your praise is a request. Your praise is a petition. God, you are glorious. Please continue to be glorified in my life. Continue to help me, to empower me, to praise you and worship you. Because these are the short little prayers that you can pray in worship and thanksgiving throughout your week, throughout your day. 
as you think of God, when God pops in your head, whatever you're doing, you're at home, you're at work, you're at school, when the glory of God, when the concept of who he is, when it pops in your head, tell him. As you think of God, praise God. And I know that sounds like a big deal. I'm not talking about like you're sitting at work and God pops in your head and you go, I need to go take my 15-minute break so I can get out my prayer journal and really tell God how good he is. No, 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 no. I mean, I guess you could do that. But what I'm really saying is you're driving into work and a song comes on and one of the lyrics reminds you of the gospel and you just go, ooh, wow, God, thank you for that. Glory to you today. And then you move on. You're doing your morning quiet time and you read a verse and you just think about how good and kind God is to you. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your gospel. You're awesome. You move on. You're talking to a friend and, and something they share encourages you. Lord, thank you for putting that person in my life. Glory to you, Lord. Thank you for that. These prayers of thanksgiving lead us to prayers of worship and they can literally be two sentences. Two sentences and you move on with your day. Because essentially what I'm saying is when you think of God, tell him you just thought of him. Tell him you just thought of him. Tell him what you think of him. It'll take you five seconds and it's a worthy practice. Verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because Jesus tells us here that we should pray for the work, the advancement of the kingdom. Ask God to continue to bring his kingdom here on earth. God, your kingdom is moving here and now. But it won't be fully realized until Christ's return, right? There is this already but not yet. This longing for restoration, for eternity, Jesus shows us that longing, that already but not yet aspect of being a follower of Christ. This is to be a regular part of your interactions with God. You long to see his kingdom fulfilled here and now. That's that's what the phrase means, right? Your kingdom here as it is in heaven. God's glory in eternity is perfectly established. The kingdom is perfectly established in eternity. Here, the kingdom is invaded, but it's still waiting awaiting Christ's return, awaiting the restoration of all things. And part of what it means to follow Christ is to live in that tension, seeing the importance of the work around you, but longing for the eternity God has promised you, right? Jesus says, that's supposed to be part of your prayer because we need God to do this work. We can't bring the kingdom here on earth. We can't make the kingdom come. One day he'll return and the work will be completely filled, fulfilled. But here and now, here and now, we're relying upon him. And by the way, he will often use us as his instrument to establish his kingdom work here and now. We need him to do the heavy lifting, but he invites his children to be a part of it. Because when you engage life, when you leave this space, heck, even in this space, when you spend time with your coworkers, with your neighbors, with your family, with your friend, with your children, with your spouse, you will encounter a thousand expressions of brokenness and hurt and curse every day. That's what it means to live in this fallen and broken world. We all can affirm that. You wake up in the morning, a son a child of the, loving, of the loving father. You wake up a member of the kingdom with your inheritance promised and guaranteed, but you are still living in enemy territory. You are still stuck, surrounded by the effects of the curse. And as you walk through your day, you will encounter a thousand expressions of that. People you love and care about who are experiencing suffering, 
who are struggling with illness, who have emotional trauma, who have things they're working through. You, we experience the reality of the curse all day, every day. And beloved, these are the moments when this prayer comes out. These are the moments when your five-second prayer is, Lord, come soon. When you finish a conversation with a coworker who's really struggling in their marriage and they have no hope, Lord, we, I, need you, I need your kingdom here on earth. Be present for them. God, even use me in that. Three seconds and you move on. When you're driving down Manchester and an ambulance passes you and you say a two-second prayer for the EMT's father, kingdom come, I, don't, I want to live in an eternity where there's no such thing as car wrecks and ambulance calls. When you talk to that friend who's hurting, when you meet with someone who's in mourning, Father, your kingdom come. Guys, this is the prayer that meets the reality of the curse with a heart that longs for the present rule of God, for the present rule of God to fix what sin is broken. If you feel that longing in your heart, even if it's every, just every now and then, man, I just hate how broken our world is. You read a news story, you hear from a friend, and you just go, ugh. I just hate how broken our world is. Beloved, that's your invitation to pray, kingdom come. Even now, Lord, even through me, even through your church, bring your kingdom here on earth. We need you, God, to do the heavy lifting. We're incapable. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. This part of the prayer is so important for us today, and I mean that contextually, us as the modern Western American church. The first thing we have to understand here is that this was a real, out of the whole prayer, this was a really approachable petition for Jesus' audience, right? Remember, these are Roman subjects. Some of them lived under 90% plus tax burdens, right? From corrupt, awful leaders who didn't care about them. Starvation was not uncommon in Galilee during Jesus' ministry. So the prayer is for God to provide food. <laughs> hey, that's relatable. But there's more to it than that. See, the prayer is asking God for daily bread, right? He's not asking God to provide for a year to fill up the whole pantry. The prayer asks God for enough for today. A real request and a real need for most of Jesus' followers. But there's also a really spiritually specific request built in here. You just remember the story of the manna in the desert? You remember that? Jesus is leading Israel through the wilderness. He's freed them from Egypt. He's taken them to the promised land. They're out in the middle of nowhere and they're literally starving. They have nothing to drink, nothing to eat. They're crying out, God, why did you lead us into the wilderness if you're not gonna care for us? And God's response is to care for them. He brings manna from heaven. Every morning they wake up and there's bread on the ground outside their tents, right? But if you remember that story, God tells them, only collect what your family needs today. Don't save any extra. If you do, it will rot. And it did. Some of them tried to collect two days, three days worth to get extra to make sure they were taking care of themselves. And it didn't last through the night. It had maggots in it in the morning. God was saying, listen, I will provide for you, but I'll provide for you every day. You gotta wake up every morning knowing that I'm your provider. I'll care for you. That's what is connected to Jesus' prayer here. Guys, God's provision is a daily provision. And what Jesus is telling us here is that his followers, this is a normative part of our communication with God. Lord, I need you to provide for me today. 
This is an admittance that we depend upon God for the most basic survival needs every moment of every day. And I think this prayer is important for us as modern Western American Christians, and I'll tell you why. Most of us rarely, if ever, actually find ourselves in need of daily provision, right? We assume because of our work, because of our money, because of our family, heck, because of our socially provided safety net, that our daily bread is covered. It's very easy for us to forget that we actually depend upon God for daily provision. Because when you believe that you're able to provide your daily needs, you are significantly less likely to ask the God of the universe to provide for your daily needs, right? It seems like an unnecessary part of the conversation. But beloved, if no one else does, let me gently remind you today, you are helpless to provide your own needs. It is by the grace of God that you are provided for. Does anyone remember a little something called, oh, I don't know, 2020? You guys remember that? You guys remember that year? It was a buck wild year, right? Anyone remember about five months into 2020 when for some terrible reason, toilet paper became rare? You guys remember that? By the way, if you don't know the Tunnels, the Tunnels are a bidet family. We're pretty passionate about this. And we got mocked mercilessly when we installed bidets in our house. Why would you do that? No one mocked us in May of 2020. <laughs> I actually had someone offer to buy toilet paper from me. Such a weird time, right? Guys, in that moment, every single one of us were helpless to provide our daily toilet paper. You may think you are in control of your daily bread because of your success by this world's standards. But let me remind you, you are one social calamity away from being disabused of that notion. It's simply not true. It is only through the grace of God that you eat your daily bread. And beloved, you can trust God for that provision. God delights to provide for you. He delights, I mean, one of, the, one of the teachings Jesus uses to talk about prayer is he says, who of you, if your child were to ask you for an egg, would give them a scorpion instead? I love that image. <laughs> because as a parent of three toddlers, oh no, I'm, I've, I've been close. But, you get what I'm saying, right? Like, God delights to provide for you. He delights to provide for you. He is the one who meets your needs, which means you actually can bring your needs to him with confidence. You can be honest with God about what in the day ahead of you brings you worry and anxiety, where you are helpless. You can bring those things to God because God delights to hear them. Because I think this part of the prayer is great. It speaks to the level of detail and minutia that God invites you into in your prayer life. This is the prayer you pray when you're worried about your job, when you're anxious about inflation. This is the prayer you pray every day when you consider what you need. God, be with me in my work today. I am struggling. God, please provide for my family today. God, help this little thing. I know this is a dumb little thing, but God, this is something that's really important to our family. Like, help this work out for us. God, take care of my kids when they go to school today. These are the sorts of daily bread prayers. Daily bread prayers that, again, three, five, ten seconds long, as, they, as the needs pop in your head, as you become aware of areas where you need help, you bring them to God. You bring them to God honestly, without shame, 
Not, how many of you guys, right, like if you've been in church a long time, have done that before where you're like, man, I actually am really concerned about this, but I know it's super petty. There's no way I'm going to talk to God about this. You can talk to God about it. God invites you, invites you to bring the petty minutia of your life to him because he loves you, because he delights in you, because he delights to provide for you. Daily bread prayers, man, they're so easy for us to miss. They're such a vital part of your life of faith. Verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Because this part of the prayer is important, and you know it's important because it's the only part of the prayer that Jesus gives additional commentary on after finishing the prayer, right? What I love about this is that it shows how we should be bringing our sin to Jesus regularly. And if you are someone who's grown up in an evangelical tradition, it can be really easy to ignore this. Like we, we want to rebel against high church traditions where confession is this required practice. And we just go, eh, Christ already saved me. I'm good. But listen, guys, bringing your confession to Christ is actually really helpful. It's actually a really life-giving practice. I think we see in here that Jesus is saying you should regularly be bold and blunt in asking for forgiveness. Guys, the gospel of Jesus is true. There is no sin so powerful that Christ's work on your path can't restore you. Like, that's true. That means you can be bold in your confession. You can bring your sin, your need for forgiveness to God regularly and with expectancy. Remember, guys, Jesus is really quick here to connect our experience of receiving forgiveness to our experience of giving forgiveness. We miss this a little bit in the English here, but the way this actually comes out in the Greek is that this aspect of the equation is kind of aspirational, as if Jesus is saying, help me to forgive like I've been forgiven. These petitions for forgiveness, guys, these come up throughout the entirety of the day. When you become aware of your sin, when you become aware of of your need for forgiveness, don't delay. Confess. Bring it to Jesus immediately. Father, I should not have spoken that way. God, I should not have treated my coworker that way. Forgive me. Here's the beautiful thing. Because of the gospel, he already has. <laughs> it's already true. You're just catching up to your reality in the confession. And you allow your fresh experience of forgiveness to point you to your own need to give forgiveness. Father, I shouldn't have spoken that way to my kids. Forgive me. And then you have this moment of going, ooh. Father, help me to continue to forgive those who've spoken harshly to me. It draws you to your own need to do kingdom work. Verse 13. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus closes his prayer with this really specific petition around spiritual warfare. God, keep us from temptation. Deliver us from Satan. Guys, spiritual warfare is real. Temptation is constant, and there is someone who desires for you to give in to it, to live into your flesh. So Christ says, pray for your spiritual vitality and the very real battle of fighting your idols and sin. You need God's help to engage your sin, to engage your idolatry, to engage your patterns. You need him. So bring him into the equation and do it before you're in the throes of the battle. Father, I know I will be tempted. Lord, you know this is an area of weakness for me. Deliver me. Don't let me give in. Keep me far from Satan. Keep me far from sin. These are appropriate prayers. 
As you consider your days, you consider spaces you're walking into, when you know a certain anxiety is going to trigger you to run back to that sin, when you know being in this relational context is going to push you to this sin pattern, before you're in the battle, I mean, you can pray in the battle too, absolutely, but before you're there, it is so appropriate, so healthy. Lord, I know life is a battle. I know there's spiritual warfare around me. God, deliver me today. Fight alongside me, Lord. I need your strength. 14 15. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Oof. Lastly, Jesus ends with this further commentary of the section of the prayer regarding forgiveness. Here's the thing, guys. I don't want to soften this because I think Jesus is purposefully blunt here. But I also don't want to send you spiraling into doubts and anxieties and fears. So, so follow me on this, right? Jesus says here that those who truly experience the gospel of forgiveness of the cross long to give the same forgiveness to others. He goes so far as to really flat out say, if you refuse to offer forgiveness, you probably haven't received forgiveness. Beloved, the gospel of Jesus is powerful. Because it's powerful, guys, it's transformative. It changes you. If you've experienced the radical love of Jesus poured out for you on the cross, it will change the way you engage injustice against you. Now, don't mishear me. This doesn't mean that if you struggle with forgiveness, you need to doubt your salvation, guys. Some forgiveness is hard. It's difficult. Like, really hard. It may take years It may take discipleship and counseling. You may find yourself wavering back and forth between real forgiveness and real hatred. Some wounds are deep and you can't magically flip a switch and make them go away. But the heart transformed by the gospel will long to move forward toward forgiveness. Even as you wrestle with it, it will push you. You'll know that's your end goal is to walk in real forgiveness and real peace. Guys, take this word from Jesus as an admonishment. If you see unforgiveness in your own heart, take that seriously. Don't ignore that part of you. Don't move past it. And listen, guys, listen. A lot of us have experienced deep wounds. Don't pretend you walk in forgiveness when you don't. If you need to work through something, you need to work through it. Bring it to your discipler. Bring it to your counselor. Talk to your pastors. Seek help to submit this part of your heart to Jesus because Jesus is telling you really bluntly it's important, right? Okay, so that's it. That's the whole prayer. It's wonderful, it's beautiful, it's challenging. Hopefully you see how each of these aspects of Jesus' prayer can speak into your daily experience of prayer, right? So what are you actually going to do with this? Jesus has been pretty practical for us. So how do you wade through all that and figure out what your best next step is. I'm going to land us with two ideas for you to consider. The first one is this, and it's about the most cliche thing a pastor can say from the pulpit. God might be telling you today you need to pray more. Just think about that. Maybe, maybe you need to just pray more. <laughs> I, I, I know that's, I'm sorry. I know that's probably the most cliche thing I can say, but it's true. Guys, you will not grow in your faith if you don't grow in your practice of prayer. Pure and simple. I could list out dozens of scriptures about this idea. Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. James 5, 16, 
Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you will be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. For Thessalonians 5.17, I like this one because I can memorize it. Pray always. Here you go. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in your prayer and pray with thanksgiving. I literally could keep going until we're way past time because there's a lot about this in the Bible. Beloved, you need prayer in your life. Whatever your prayer life looks like right this second, part of your next step is going to be to grow in your prayer life. We all need this. And if you're like me and you struggle with prayer, I want to encourage you, start realistic and start small. Look for opportunities for those five-second prayers in your life today. As you leave this space, look for opportunities to say quick little prayers to God in your mind as you work through your day. Even if it's two sentences, guys, invite God into the minutia of your life, which, which brings me to the second point of application that I'd love for you to consider, and that's this. Maybe you should just try and annoy God with your prayers. And I know that's a funny, weird way to say it, but guys, Jesus said it this way. See, God, God delights in your prayers. God loves to hear your heart. He loves to meet you with prayer. You can't annoy him with your prayer. He basically dares you to try. There's, there's, by the way, more than one time where Jesus uses this as a challenge to his people for prayer. But I'm going to zone in. In Luke 18, Jesus tells this parable about this unjust judge who refuses to give justice to this widow, but he finally relents and gives her justice because she pesters him so much. She shows up day after day after day, and he finally goes, I better just give this lady justice so I can get on with my life, right? It's actually kind of a funny story. And Jesus' application of the parable is to say, if this unjust judge will give justice because he was annoyed, how much more? Will your heavenly Father, who loves you, hear you and care for you and meet your needs? Beloved, I know some of you have been faithfully praying for the same thing for years. Healing, salvation of a loved one, freedom from an addictive sin. Beloved, do not give up. Do not lose hope. Keep on praying. Keep on praying in faith. Your Father in heaven is better than a crooked judge. He hears you. He's working through prayer. Try and annoy him with your prayers. See if you can bring him something so small and so petty and so insignificant that he balks at it. You can't. He loves to hear from you. His prayer is important as it draws you closer to God. When you, when you pray, you find out that God delights to hear from it, not because you're doing some amazing thing, not because you're teaching him new things he didn't know. God delights in your prayers because he loves you. See, beloved, as you ask God for things, you won't find yourself magically changing God. Instead, you'll find your own heart bending toward him you'll find that you begin to, to be shaped like him in your thoughts. The more time you spend with him, the more it chisels you and sanctifies you. Because prayer draws us closer to the heart of God, the God of the universe. There's no aspect of reality that's beyond his control, and he loves you. He delights in you. He loves to live in relationship with you. He loves to hear from you. Chris, if you want to come up, one of my 
absolute deepest joys in life as a father is when one of my children sits with me and tells me about their day. And if you're a dad in the room, you know what I'm talking about. And by the way, when you've got like a three-year-old, that conversation is nonsense. <laughs> but tell them about your day. Oh, uh, Isaac bit me at school, and did you know Transformers can turn into boats? <laughs> no, I didn't know that. And yet I delight in it. I love, I love when one of my children sits down and tells me about their day. Beloved, your father delights to hear from you. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give just some space for you to put this into practice and talk to God. I really want you to take a few minutes and actually connect with Christ in this room. Chris is going to do his thing. He's going to play guitar. There's going to be that ambience to help us get there. I want to invite you to consider three things. The first one is this. You might need a jump start in your prayer life today that just involves sitting with someone who you love and trust in the faith and asking them to pray with you. Your pastors are here in the room. We would love to do that. If you want to grab one of us in the next few minutes, we would love to pray with you, to help start you or help re-spark that connection with God. I'd also, if this is something that you feel God is moving in your heart, and you might consider, we're, we're actually in the midst right now of getting some people together to really start up an intentional intercessory prayer team in our church. I'd love for you to talk to me about that. If you think your gifting might be connected to that, if you want to serve our church in that way, we would love to have that conversation with you. And lastly, you, know, you might consider the fact, you know, we have a prayer chain, right, where people of our church can let the rest of the people of our church know about needs, concerns. We can come together in unity and pray together as a church. If you're not on the prayer chain, you want to be, then just sign up for it right back there. If there's something going on in your life that you need prayer for, then guys, we just talked about it. I don't care what it is. If there's something that brings you anxiety, someone you're praying for for salvation, something going on in your life that's a big deal, and you want your church praying for it, send it along. Your church will pray for it. We'll join together with you in talking to our dad about how he can take care of everything. Take a few minutes. Connect with the Lord as your heart needs. Pray on your own. Grab someone in the room to pray with. And then we're going to end our time as we always do.
we're going to move into a time of communion. But I'm going to ask you to stay in prayer as we do this. We have a great need. We are desperately in need of a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. Taking communion is an acknowledgement and a prayer and a thank you to Jesus for what he has already accomplished on your behalf. If you need the elements, go ahead and raise your hand and somebody will bring those to you. But just stay in prayer as we enter into this time. Thank Jesus for his work on your behalf. Thank him for his body broken for you, his blood poured out for you to bring you into his family, to save you and give you new life. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you so much for your body broken for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, so much for your blood poured out that you have created a new covenant that you've invited us into, this covenant of grace. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you so much for the truth of the gospel. You are so good. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands, my name is written. And on his heart I know that while In heaven he stands No tongue can bid me this depart No tongue can bid me this depart When Satan tempts me to despair And tells me of the guilt within Upward I look and see him there Who made an end of all my sin Because a sinless Savior died My sinful soul is counted free For God the just is satisfied To look on him in pardon Look on him and pardon me. Hallelujah.
to one risen Son of God. Behold Him there, the risen Lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. One in Himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by His blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. With Christ my Savior and my God. Hallelujah. thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, we are honored by your presence. More importantly, God is honored by all of our presence this morning. Uh, our prayer, as usual, is that as you enter the doors into our church, that you experience the love of Christ pouring into you so that that love can then flow out of you as you leave here today and on into the week. We all have next steps as a result of that, and we've heard some of them this morning on prayer. Uh, Next steps for, for most of us involve things like support, supporting our church. Uh, next steps also involve serving, serving our church and serving our community. And next steps often include growing deeper in our relationship with God, understanding who we are and understanding who God is. And so kind of the three things that we have coming up in the life of our church, if you were to grab a bulletin back there, and I encourage you to do so, uh, to support our church today, you may not be aware of this, but today is Saucy Sunday, which means the youth of our church, the student community, are putting on a spaghetti fundraiser that will be outside after the 1045. Uh, you can get some food, some good spaghetti and Caesar salad and French bread for $15 a person uh, and stay and partake in that. Um, if you don't like spaghetti or if you can't stay, there'll be a tip jar out there. You can toss some money in there just to support our students. The purpose of that is to help them defray the cost of their summer trip to, I think they're going to Florida, aren't they? They're going to Florida. Hannah? Yeah. Florida. So um, that's after the 1045. Um, that's a way you can support. The way you can serve our community is this coming Friday uh, between 1030 and 2. Pastor Jim will be heading up a team to serve the teachers over here across the street at Ellisville Elementary by serving them lunch. He needs some people to help from 1030 to 2. If you can't stay for the whole time, that's fine. If you can help for a little bit, please reach out to Pastor Jim. Give him an email, a text, uh, or talk to him. The third thing is that um, signups are going to be closing probably after today or this week. Our next Emotionally Healthy Discipleship class begins this Saturday, so a week from yesterday. It'll be an eight-week class. There are spots for four more people, about four more people. There's a sign-up sheet back there. So if you are interested in that, 
um, please sign your name. You will, if you've already signed up, or if you do sign up today, you will receive an email from Pastor Jim this week about what's coming up this Saturday, what time to be there, what's expected of you, and so forth. So we encourage you uh, in all of those various steps. Maybe it's just one, maybe it's all. Uh, but be prayer, prayerful in your consideration of what your next steps are. We have one more announcement. Pastor Sam's going to come up, and he's going to uh, announce a couple things. I'm going to speak, and then I'll close us in a benediction. Cool. Uh, so really quick, if you consider Emmanuel Fellowship Church your home, th this is for you. We, we haven't been doing, like, church family business meetings or anything like that for the last, I don't know, since last summer or something, uh, because no one came to them. Which is fine. I get why you wouldn't want to. Uh, but as a result, we've been wrestling through, like, how do we make sure we keep everyone up to date on in the important goings-on in the church? And so one of the things this year we started doing is making sure there were financial reports in the bulletin so you guys could keep up with what was going on in the church financially. Uh, and just in case you don't do that, uh, I want to make sure you're up to date on the financial situation of the church. So we closed out our first quarter uh, at the end of March and over uh, the month of April. Our elders got together to kind of process that and then met with our finance team to process it. And I just want to be really uh, blunt with you guys if you haven't looked at it. We didn't do too great in the first quarter <laughs> of this year. Um, and there's probably a couple of reasons for that. One of them is that we set a, a budget for growth this year, uh, hope, hoping to see some stuff happen. And, and the reality is, guys, um, it's not that we're in some kind of dire financial situation. God is really great and provides for our church. Uh, but we didn't calculate the, a budget that makes the most sense of our reality. And so we met, the elders met with the finance team and made some pretty significant budget shifts over the last week. You're going to get an email this week that shows you the budget versus actuals for quarter one, as well as some of the budget line item changes we made going into that. And the reason we wanted to announce this to you guys before we sent out the email is that part of that shift we've made in the budget is a staffing adjustment. And so I want to talk to you guys about that piece uh, because I know that is, it's, it's alarming and uncomfortable to hear, but I want to make sure we have uh, a second to talk about this. We've said from the beginning as a manual, you know, we brought two churches with existing staffs together that we wanted to honor that and honor those existing roles. But it also left us in a context uh, where our very normal-sized church was, over, was pretty overly staffed, right, for the size of our church. And so that's something that apart from our current budget situation, our elders and staff have been talking about continually. And at the end of last year, before we knew about any of this, uh, we had honest conversations with each of our staff people about what is your long-term plan. And I'm going to let Craig speak to this, but one of the things Craig had shared with our elders is that he felt like he, that God was just calling him to a new season of ministry, and he wanted to, over a period of time, transition down his hours and transition down his role to being a lay pastor. Uh, and so the reality of, you know, I'm going to let Craig speak to this, but the reality of this is that was already a plan he made with our elders last year. And when we saw the financial reality coming out of quarter one, we just said, well, maybe this is God's prompting for us to begin that transition. So Craig, do you want to speak to that part real quick? So let me say this. Um, the short of it is they're going to reduce my salary willingly by about half of what I make. 
um, when we met a couple of weeks ago, that was kind of one of the big things in place I wanted them to consider uh, right away. And so that was uh, something that I communicated to them. Um, but if I can give you just some brief history of my time in ministry, I was full-time ministry up until 2020. Many of you know this. COVID t took a hit on a lot of churches, and ours was no different, uh, Red Tree back then. And so I went part-time in 2020. I, I uh, uh, became a Rockwood school bus driver, as many of you know. Um, and uh, do that with great joy, and it's been a wonderful source of, uh, of joy, pride, and income for my family. Uh, and then last year, even though I went part-time, um, Sam um, and Jim encouraged me to continue and take a sabbatical. So I had a seven-week sabbatical. And at the end of that sabbatical, they asked me if God had given me any insights, and I had told them, I think he's carving some sort of new path for me, but I didn't know what that meant or when that would be. But by the end of last year, when we had staff um, uh, reviews, one of the things that I had mentioned to them is I feel that God is calling me to step out of full-time vocational ministry or part-time vocational ministry over the next two or three years, uh, reduce my salary, reduce my roles and responsibilities, and eventually become a lay elder and no longer to get paid by the church. Um, and then last year, my family was the recipient of a generous financial gift that allows us uh, much fi financial flexibility in our family, and that was quite unexpected. So all of that leads up to the current need. I believe that God has just been orchestrating some things over the last several years uh, regarding my season of life as, as I get older and our life transitions with where we are as parents and husband and wife and our family, our kids, eventually uh, moving out of the house, Lord willing, someday. Um, brings us to our current needs. So when we were talking about reducing staff, um, mine was the logical place to start. And so it wasn't, it wasn't uh, a shock. It wasn't unforeseen. It was something that was pretty much uh, aligned by God saying, this is, this is the time to start this process. And so that's what we decided to do. So beginning in June, uh, my salary will be cut in half um, to help defray some of this some of this budget cut in our church three quick things I want you all to know these are very important uh, one thing this is, does not bring any type of financial hardship to my family none whatsoever so I don't want you to thinking that it will be uh, it will not the second thing is nothing will change in my roles and responsibilities at Emmanuel for the rest of this year I will continue to do the same thing that I can, that I've been doing I will continue to drive a Rockwood school bus uh, and the third thing is and this is probably the most important thing I'm not going anywhere. Our family's not going anywhere. This is our home. This is our community. And I don't come to this church because they pay me. I come to this church because I love God and I love the local church and I love you guys. And so that needs to be abundantly clear is that we are all in here. This is our church and we are in it forever until the Lord calls us home. And so I uh, just wanted to communicate that to you guys. Do you have anything else to say? Craig, we love you guys, and we love your family, and we thank you. Uh, I, I, I hope you guys hear that, right? Like, this was, this was a large, like, you know, it's never fun to hear the finances aren't great at your church, but this is just something God was already moving in the background uh, to, to move our church toward, which is cool. Um, I, I want you to hear this. You know, our church is not in debt or anything like that. We're not, like, floating paychecks on credit cards or something terrible. We have money in the bank and all those things. Uh, but this kind of thing, we're going to send you guys the financial realities this week in an email. And this is always just a good opportunity for you to prayerfully consider your giving. And I want you to hear this from me. If you feel good, like if you feel like you're operating your convictions around your giving, praise the Lord. Don't feel like you need to change anything. 
if, if you're not, you know, if you hear about it and it pricks your heart a little bit and you're like, oh, okay, I'm not really, it's a great opportunity to be challenged on that and to consider what your financial involvement in your local church is. But, but please don't hear us like twisting your arm, like increase your check. Like if you are in a place where you're faithful and you're sacrificial giving, rock and roll. Uh, a budget's just a tool and we want to make our budget reflect the reality of what God's providing in our church. So thank you guys. You're going to close us. Our benediction this morning is from James chapter 4. Um, I believe that one thing that we need to realize is that one of the reasons we don't pray is because we're prideful people and we don't think we need God. Um, James talks very specifically about that. Uh, he says that God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Part of prayer is that, is that engagement of the Holy Spirit to resist the devil. And then verse 8 says this, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That is a promise, church. As you pray, it's not just that you're engaging in the act of prayer, but not only do you draw near to God, but the Lord of the universe actually draws near to you. And so with that in mind, go today. Draw near to God and experience his love and his kindness and his presence drawing near to you. We love you guys. Have a great day.